This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Pete Childs, CFO of Workfront, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Theater Podcast. This is episode number 303. want to bring attention not just to creating financials but to what are the big things we're trying to accomplish within the business generally focused on financial goals maybe uh, you know what are the one or two or three things that we're really trying to achieve like it could be in one period if we might be focused on bringing DSO down or bringing receivables down some another time it may be reducing debt or it may be uh, redu- or Im- improving margin but what are the one or two or three things that we're trying to accomplish and then let's look at how we provide a forecast and actual results so that we're, we have an approach to monitoring how well are we doing on those one or two or three key things that we're trying to achieve in the business financially. And then turn that forecast, what I call a reliable financial forecast and actual results, into insight that then we provide to the management team so that in the adjust portion of the rhythm, we're providing insightful financial information to the people running the business so that they can see, here's what actually, here's what happened. Here's what I was trying to make happen. And then here's what I need to do different in order to achieve the results. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is CFO Thought Leader where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we spend some time with thought leader and finance consultant Philip Campbell, whose new book, A Quick Start Guide to Financial Forecasting, debuts on Amazon this month. Philip's career includes a number of tours of duty as a finance leader, and today's discussion goes a number of unexpected places. It begins right after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions, and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. Philip, it's great to have you with us. I wanted to just kick off by asking you about uh, the concept that you, uh, I see you blogging about, I think it's, uh, you've written about it in your book, The Monthly Financial Rhythm. Can we begin here? What is, what is this exactly? Yeah, so what I mean by the monthly financial rhythm is that, you know, we're all kind of in it in some form or another, just because uh, as CFOs and running the financial side of the business, we've got a monthly rhythm around the monthly close, creating financial statements. 
What I'd like to do with the, with the monthly financial rhythm, though, is to show how we can really up our game. We want to bring attention not just to creating financials, but to what are the big things we're trying to accomplish within the business. Generally, focused on financial goals. Maybe, uh, you know, what are the one or two or three things that we're really trying to achieve? Zero in for us on one of those things and how an organization uh, might look to achieve it. Well, I'll give you an example. So that let's just say that one of our targets is growing sales, right, within a retail organization. Well, so what is it? What are some of the drivers of sales? Well, there's uh, you know customer transactions and average ticket. Let's say customer uh, transactions average ticket equals sales. Well, then we we might drill that down a little bit to say, hey, customer transactions are made up of actually two drivers. One is repeat customers and the other is new customers. And let's say that we drive some of our reporting back to the field to say, here's what's going on with sales relative to target. Here's what's going on with customer transactions relative to target and peel it down a little bit more to here's, you know, we've got, here's what's happening with new customers and existing customers. Because I was uh, working with a retail company with that had a sales problem. They thought it, it, what the people in the field were saying is that we just need more customers. We need more marketing to make this happen. Well, it turns out when you drill down uh, new customers, basically driving new customers into the stores was actually go, uh, was actually going up. What the problem was existing customers were abandoning the stores. So once we shed the little light on that, put make sure that our reporting was um, included some insight around metrics about what's happening with uh, existing customers and repeat customers, they were able to hone in on where their real issue was. It wasn't about going out and spending more mo- money in marketing, driving new uh, people into the store. It was about putting an effort within the stores on some of the training around customer service, around loyalty programs to help give customer existing customers a reason to come back. So that's an example in my mind about when the finance side of the business is thinking in terms of making a difference and uh, lining up uh, results and targets with drivers that the, the folks within operations can relate to, then they're more likely to be able to then go about their work to you know, make a difference in the numbers, but by putting a little bit more fo- focus on what's driving the results, not just handing them something that says, sales are off, you, know, you guys are missing plan, you, know, you, you ought to figure out some way to try to make a difference. Well. Mentioning missing plan, um, companies that are experiencing uh, <laughs> regularly missing plan. What are some of the uh, the common reasons? What, what? Well, sometimes they're just a bad target, right? And I tell you what, what happens. And one reason why I'm such a big fan of having a reliable financial forecast, meaning that a kind of an unbiased view of what here's about here's what's about to happen financially is that oftentimes the CEO's got a plan, they're working it, they're, they're cascading you know, objectives down through the organization and not recognizing that by, by accomplishing what they're after, they're not going to achieve the financial results that they think. And so then they wait and they, they've got plans, they're making things happen, the financial results come in and they see that something's not right, so they're trying to find out why their variances, what's going on, when oftentimes, and I've seen this throughout my career, is that if a CEO just sees that, hey, if we achieve these objectives, here's what the financial results are likely to look like, and they're very different than what they're expecting, then they get about a three- or six-month heads up to actually say, you know what, I think we're going to do things a little different. So I think 
that's one reason I'm such a big fan of a financial forecast is that I think that once you begin to show people what's likely to happen, they can begin making changes before, before and not have to wait for historical financial results to come out. I forgot the exact words, uh, perhaps, but one one of your blog posts states something like a CFO's mission is to make history, not just record it. Uh, right, delivering it in advance is uh, is can be even harder, and very few uh, very few people do it or have a mechanism in place that encourages it. Well, what you're talking about, in my mind, is changing the course of history, which if a company doesn't start looking forward, uh, they'll just stay on the same, that course, that predetermined course to nowhere. They, I mean, you can put kind of slow and sloppy financial information from a CEO and, make, and turn an otherwise uh, smart guy into a poor leader. So I think making history, I just mean that we're helping to create a, a financial future for the company that's bigger and brighter because we are there. So once a finance leader has a process in place that allows them to forecast, it becomes a less hazardous uh, leadership role in terms of having to deal with the CEO and management decision-making. So the idea is, hey, protect yourself. Yeah, well, because once you create, uh, you know, you have a forecasting process in place and and you've kind of taught and coached the, uh, everyone that its purpose is what's likely to happen without regards to what the target is, without regard to what the goal is, without regard to what the budget is. It's just a, a, an attempt, a, an unbiased view of what's likely to happen based on what's happening now. And when you do that, then you can you 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 try to remove some of the barriers. Um, to you know where that where uh, so that the CEO is expecting that is the is the ultimate place to be where the CEO or the board is expecting that kind of view so that you're not just the naysayer right because it, oftentimes we don't want to be just the naysayer because we already have that reputation right well we want to do this project ah eh, it's going to cost too much um, so but when we create this mechanism for here's what we believe is likely to happen and it's heavily in influenced by what is happening now, then you have a permission, in effect, to deliver bad news without coming across as just the naysayer who's always overly conservative. And then you've got a mechanism at that point then to help influence decisions. And that's really what I mean by making history, not just recording it, is that because we're providing that view and that perspective in a uh, a CEO or, or leadership team then is considering that with the existing plans that they're in existing kind of strategies and tactics, then oftentimes they begin making different decisions. And then over time, even if a CEO says, you know what, Philip, I got the forecast, but I just think you're wrong. I mean, you're just, you're, you're, you're just, you know, we're making these things happen and these guys are doing this. This is what's going to happen. Okay. Well, then we go past a month or a quarter, and then they go, and then it turns out that the view of what's likely to happen actually does happen. 
right? because it's based for the most part on what's happening now in current trends. Then they say, hmm, I think I'm going to pay a little more attention to that uh, forecast, and it's not because I'm trying to show that I know something or I've got a crystal ball. I'm just saying here's what's likely to happen based on what's happening now. And so sometimes there's good things that are going to happen in, within the organization because of the plans the CEO is, is implementing, but it's going to take, may take nine months, whereas they think it's going to happen in two, or it's going to take three quarters instead of just one. But I think you begin to build credibility. You begin to um, uh, enhance the influence that you have within an organization when you create that kind of reality-based view. And so you're, you're, you're doing good things for your career. You're doing good things for the company. And, and ultimately, over time, um, the CEO, leadership team, board, all sees that, understands it, and knows that the company is better off because you're there with them on the team. And, I, and I, I, I can't tell you how strongly I believe that uh, creating a forecast like that and kind of unbiased, unbiased reality-based view of what's likely to happen over, say, even just the next three to six months can make a huge difference on so many, uh, in so many ways. Now, isn't the problem or the, the hurdle many organizations face why they haven't been able to uh, take their forecasting process to the next threshold? It's often a human capital uh, challenge that they face. They haven't found the right people who can help the organization uh, adopt uh, the best practices required. Absolutely. When, and where that generally comes into play is when they don't have uh, a you know good set of uh, financial statements or what I like to call a bulletproof GL. So you got to have that's a, because my starting point is generally at the financial statements and forward, right? Where are we going? Uh, what's the vision and strategy? What is it going to look like? What is that likely to look like in the future? What are we trying to accomplish financially? What are the two or three, you know, primary objectives we're trying to get at here and make happen? Uh, it could be just around financial improvement. It could be solving some big problems because oftentimes that's when people, you know, companies will bring someone in is when they got a big financial problem. Um, but when we don't have a bulletproof GL to work from, which is I kind of like to condense the role of the controller to making sure I got a bulletproof GL amongst the many other responsibilities, you know, that they have from a compliance and safeguarding of assets perspective. Yeah, that's because I really can't do much work, you know, as a CFO or in an outsourced CFO role or provides more, you know, the more seasoned strategic benefits of a CFO without that as a starting point. So Bulletproof GL, is that is, is it a question of leadership? Is the controller just not uh, as much of an, a leader that's required in these organizations? I mean, the, you can be a terrific controller leader, but I, I'm just pointing out that sometimes uh, the controller lacks all the skills that might be required to produce that. Uh, how, how, right. how do you view things? I mean, is it... Well, is I think the, yeah. The size of the organization matters, of course, but I just think that the, the things that make for a good controller are the very, 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 very bottom-up, nitty-gritty, greasy-grimy, how are we gathering and recording transactions, what are the controls that we have in place to gather and record um, transactions accurately, how do we make sure that things coming through AP the way they need to be, all the nitty-gritty that goes into invoicing and all the... the uh, the details around what it takes 
to get transactions down to the penny and accurate. So CFO, in my view of the world, is exactly the opposite. Right? So all my work as a CFO is almost exclusively top-down, not bottom-up. Right? So it's like a fork. That's why so many uh, CFOs don't have a good, solid, reliable financial forecast, as I like to define it, is because they think in the top, in the bottom-up kind of approach. So they think, because there's, so there's all these different drivers of financial results, how am I going to create a reliable financial forecast when it takes thousands and thousands of transactions to roll up to do that or 50 different drivers to get there? So I just think the, con the controller is all about bottom-up, detail, controls, accuracy, precision, and that, I think that leadership and uh, the, the traits that a successful CFO needs are really uh, more about decision-making, not precision. They're about top-down and understanding key drivers, not the thousands or the hundreds that it takes to roll up transactions accurately. So I just think it's just, they just, to me anyway, they're just coming from such a different world, and to be successful in each of those worlds require that you just, that you, you know, successful controller just has to live in the, the nitty-gritty transaction-by-transaction accuracy and precision. I just think that's it's, – it's, it's difficult to transition from that because the personality that's good at that and excels at that um, may not be able to shift gears. Because it's a – in my view, it's a, it's a pretty big shift to go from there to controller and leader. When you, you mentioned uh, the finance leader, you mentioned decision-making, or you put great emphasis on it. When a, when a finance leader has the wherewithal to make solid decisions, what specifically are you – what are you getting at there? Well, I mean, decisions around direction uh, of the company, decisions around um, kind of maybe the larger resource allocation, um, decisions around what to focus on. Um, and I just think that's just so different from – you know, the, the whole process of, uh, of accounting and, and gathering and recording transactions. It's like in the forward-looking view of financial performance, as an example, decision-making, there's, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to a controller and, quite frankly, to a CFO when it comes to historical financial information, or, or historical financial statements, is to have a bust in the numbers, to be wrong. And yet, at the CFO level and the decision-making level and putting together what's likely to happen financially uh, when we hook the vision and strategy of the company up to likely financial implications, we know we're going to be wrong. In fact, we're creating a forecast with the, with the complete knowledge that is going to be wrong from a precision perspective. But it will still help inform us uh, and help us guide, you know, the leadership team when we see if we're directionally headed where we want to go across maybe some of the key drivers of financial performance. So decision-making, I, 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 I uh, contrast with precision. And so, and, and directionally, if you understand where something's headed, I think you can make, uh, you know, good, solid decisions around some of the key goals or tactics within the company.
Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. And am I right when I say that so much of that ability to make decisions comes down to that relationship with the CEO and whether the CEO is going to give the finance leader the, the, the wide enough berth to, to, you know, to make those decisions? Absolutely, and that's, and that's our role to kind of create that you know wide enough berth to be able to do that too <laughs> right we have to show we have to show that we care we have to show that we understand uh, kind of the the essence of the business model and where we're going uh, because you have to understand you know how the business functions and operates in order to be able to create the you know a forward looking view of what's likely to happen from a financial perspective and we have to earn the trust and we have to uh, show that you know we have to you know we have to help ensure that we're not in one of those situations where we're actually just either telling the CEO what it, what they he or she wants to hear uh, and and kind of give ourselves a gut check every now and then you know uh, you have to kind of think am, am I providing a good solid honest view of what I think is about to happen. Because oftentimes I've been in situations where I, I'm I know pretty I'm pretty sure that that the CEO thinks one thing's going to happen and it's not, and I just as I matured I think as a CFO and as a, a finance executive I had to get to where I learned how to be able to communicate uh, when I was. Uh, you know, when I thought that something else was going to happen or I thought a plan was going to generate results that were different than what everybody else thought, I just had to learn how to communicate that in a non-threatening way so that I could, you know, because I think that's just part of making a difference and, it, and you just feel horrible if you know that actual results are going to come in different and so that and you just kind of sit tight. You know, and I'm not suggesting everyone does that, but I just think we all – it's one of the things we all have to mature and grow in um, throughout our career is how do we create a relationship where the CEO or the leadership team wants to hear from us. And we have to be able to do that in a way where we don't come off as just naysayers. We come off as part of the team. Here's where we're headed. Here's what it looks like is going to happen. It's a little different than what everyone else is thinking you know, should we be doing a little something different? And so just one of those things that we all have to grow into, because I really do sincerely believe that there's a lot of CEOs out there that are, are not getting kind of the unbiased, you know, reality-based view. And if they did, they would, you know, there are some things that they would do different, and I think it, our organizations would be better as a result. 
Yes, but it's interesting. Again, when part of the job is to provide that reality check view uh, to the CF, CEO, one can sense all the risk that accompanies the decision to step into a new CFO role. I mean, does this CEO really want a reality check? And it, rem it reminds me of the search going on at Uber, uh, where they're looking for a COO. M many wonder whether the CEO, and he he's made some unwanted headlines about being headstrong, um, whether he really is prepared to accept other opinions in the C-suite at all. And we, we know Uber's CEO is not alone. Many CEOs are like this. Um, they like to run things. And very often it's a CFO who sort of parachutes in and, and wow, the clock is ticking. They have to find the right tools, maybe that bulletproof GL for starters, and they need to build relationships quickly if they're going to uh, be successful. When I think when we go into a new organization that uh, you know, we have to do maybe due diligence probably isn't the right word, but relationship building well in advance of actually saying yes to joining the company. A, a good bit of relationship building. Uh, you know, one of those where you're not just talking to someone a couple times, you're actually building a relationship over maybe a series of six or seven or eight different kind of interactions, uh, both within an office setting and talking, within some other setting, maybe over dinner, um, you know, but it, it, it's, uh, it's a very, very important relationship and, um, you know, you can hurt your career by going in and then, you know, finding out after the fact that it's not, it's not working out well, you don't have a good fit and then you pop out. That is Philip Campbell, thank you for joining us on CFO Hall here. Hey, thank you, Jack. Glad to be on the show. Philip Campbell's new book is available on Amazon. It's titled A Quick Start Guide to Financial Forecasting. Discover the secret to driving growth, profitability, and cash flow higher. Wow. We'll have to have Philip back. There's uh, clearly much more to cover with him. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that. 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to, but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted 
with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening. Thank you.